Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of You Press Play News. My name's Natalia. I am the news editor. I'm Jillian. I am the editor-in-chief. Uh, I'm Michael. I am a staff writer and social media manager. And on today's list of topics, we have dating violence study, DeSantis and Fox, Kumo and voting rights, the rocket debris, and what's been happening in Colombia. So before we start here, um, I do want to put in a trigger warning for this first segment. We're going to be discussing dating violence, sexual assault, and other forms of abuse. So if these subjects are really sensitive for you, please feel free to skip ahead. On April 8th, researchers from FAU and Sacred Heart University published research regarding dating violence in college-aged women. Study participants were all women from a sorority. There were 70 participants in total. The article defined dating violence as physical, sexual, psychological, or emotional violence within a dating relationship, including stalking. The article wrote that each group of participants that were surveyed displayed a normalization of unhealthy behaviors. When participants were asked whether or not they had experienced any form of violence, 35.3% reported that they had. But when looking at the actual experiences of the participants, researchers found that 82.4% of them had actually experienced violence within a relationship. According to the article, participants showed a lack of understanding of what constitutes emotional violence. While physically forcing you to have intercourse was recognized by 100% of participants as violent, um, emotionally pressuring you to have intercourse until you give in was recognized by 73.9%, meaning that the latter example of, of dating violence was acceptable to approximately 25% of the participants. The article stated, and I quote, both scenarios indicate rape, yet only one of them introduced physical dating violence. Another form of normalized dating violence that the research article mentioned was this lack of privacy that can develop between partners. Some partners closely monitored their social media accounts, text messages, and emails. Participants also noted that these experiences are not positive, but served a purpose in creating accountability within the relationship. One participant said, my boyfriend checks my texts at least 10 times a day. Another one stated, I'll let him go through my phone and delete people that he doesn't want me to talk to, and it makes things so much easier so we don't argue. Um, so again, this was another form of dating violence that the researchers recognized as really normalized amongst the participants. Uh, th this doesn't surprise me in a weird way, uh, just because of like um, like gender roles and stuff, like how um, that's, that's the way I, I sort of take it is that, um, like you said, like everyone recognizes that like forcing someone to have sex or something like that is is uh, dating violence, but they might not realize that like pressuring or whatever. Like I, I saw this thing that uh, a friend of mine posted and she said that like she knows her herself and a lot of her friends um, have like, she's like every girl you know has said yes to like placate a guy that wouldn't leave her alone, even if that guy was her boyfriend or whatever. And uh, I never thought of it that way because I'm a guy and it, it doesn't happen to me and um, I was pretty shocking to me but um, I think that this is like a um, an example of like where gender roles can like really be um, harmful I guess you could say like traditional gender roles especially for women um, because you're you're kind of expected by society to put up with this and you don't even recognize what is like harmful behavior or domestic or dating violence or gaslighting or or any kind of other um behavior that your partner might have you, you might um 
I think you, you titled this boys will be boys, or at least that's what I titled the graphic when I made it. And um, I think that that like little saying um, shows like the disconnect between like what the research was finding and what the participants were self-reporting where they were reporting a much lower um, incidence of domestic violence or dating violence than uh, the researchers were actually finding. So, yeah. Yeah, the FAU um, news desk wrote about it and they titled it Boys Will Be Boys. So that's definitely where that came from. But yeah, it, it, it's really interesting. It's really sad because I mean, like we are all so clearly taught how physical violence is abuse, but we don't really have these conversations about how abuse can go so much deeper than that. And how just because there is not a physical mark, that doesn't mean that like that there is no abuse involved. Um, abuse can be emotional abuse can be you know manipulation abuse can come in so many different ways if you or anyone that you know is concerned please feel free to reach out to FAU's CAPS then they're they're free and they're a great resource for anyone who needs help at the moment so uh this past Thursday our governor um, Ron DeSantis he had a live bill signing that was exclusively covered by Fox News uh, the bill that was signed was SB 90, and it was a, a bill that was signed in the law to prevent voter fraud, even though there was no substantial evidence of voter fraud in the state of Florida or in the U.S. for the 2020 election. Florida's new law restricts when ballot drop boxes can be used and who can collect ballots and how many. It mandates that drop boxes must be guarded and available only when elections, offices, and early voting sites are open. To protect against what Republicans are calling ballot harvesting, someone can only collect and return the ballots of their immediate family and no more than two from unrelated people. Critics have called this bill voter suppression and likened it to other restrictive laws being signed in other GOP states. The Fox News exclusivity was controversial as well. Nikki Fried, the Florida Commissioner of Agriculture and Consumer Services and a potential rival to DeSantis for governor, said that DeSantis was, quote, using Fox News as a state news source. In addition to the controversies over this bill and the exclusivity of um, the press coverage of it, DeSantis lived, lifted COVID restrictions across the state, and he will not allow vaccine passports in Florida. He banned them. Uh, Nova Southeastern University, who previously had a plan for vaccines to be mandatory to attend their university, dropped their policy after DeSantis's vaccine passport ban. I believe they made a comment that, um, that they were dropping the policy in response to the ban. Uh, meanwhile, I saw this today, uh, Norwegian Cruise Lines, that's the third biggest cruise company in the world, they are threatening to pull their ships from Florida shores if Florida does not require proof of vaccination to get on board. Miami-Dade County spent $263 million last year building a terminal for Norwegian at the Port of Miami. Um, and uh, Norwegian CEO Frank Del Rio said, at the end of the day, cruise ships have motors, propellers, and rudders, and God forbid we can't operate in the state of Florida for whatever reason, then there are other states that we will operate from. And we can operate from the Caribbean for ships that otherwise would have gone to Florida. Uh, my question to you guys is, what do you think of all of this? I know it's a lot to unpack. Um, and also, I saw the Norwegian thing this morning. Um, do you think other companies might pressure Florida financially in that way? Because the cruise industry is huge for here, not just for, especially for South Florida, but uh, cruise ships take off everywhere here in Florida. And, and this is one of the biggest cruise lines in the world. And if, if they're for a vaccine passport and they say that they're going to remove their ships, I wonder what that means for other companies um, potentially. So first, talking about uh, DeSantis and the Twin Tower bill signing, um, 
first off, this wasn't even supposed to be a bill signing. It was supposed to be just an interview with Fox News and DeSantis. It wasn't even supposed to be a bill signing. He just decided to have a bill signing right then and there. And I was actually watching a video of somebody, of a, I think it was a reporter on Twitter, and he was like going after DeSantis, like, hey, um, is this like a Fox exclusive? Like, da 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 da. He like didn't want to answer like to the reporter. He kept on like backing up, being like, no, it's just a Fox exclusive, like nothing else, nothing else, like not allowing any other news organization into it. And I don't think DeSantis realizes this is breaking not only constitutional rights, but this is breaking sunshine state laws. Like this is a public meeting, like any public meeting, news organizations are supposed to be allowed in. So that's the first thing with DeSantis. The second thing with the cruise ships, I feel like this is gonna do so much harm if allow, um, allow cruise ships to allow um, vaccine passports and stuff like that, because we saw what happened last year with um, I think it was called Diamond. I think it was called Diamond, the cruise ship. Um, like we saw with, uh, what happened with like COVID and stuff like that. Yeah, Diamond Princess. We saw what happened with that. So I feel like with something like cruise ships, I feel like that is one of the things that is necessary for a vaccine passport because you are in a very confined space uh, for long periods of time. No, yeah, you're exactly right about all of those things. Yeah, um, what DeSantis did was against, you know, the right to freedom of press. It was, like you said, against the law in terms of making public meetings and public gatherings available to the press. Um, and so it, it, it's, it's really astonishing. Again, I feel like I see a lot of GOP members that accuse, um, you know, Democrats of breaking constitutional rights and laws, or at least wanting to. And then I see stuff like this and it all feels really hypocritical. Um, and yeah, like cruise lines. I mean, that is one of our, that's like, if I'm not mistaken, like one of our number one industries here in Florida, um, aside from like our beaches, <laughs> we make a lot of money from cruise ships and Norwegian is a really big cruise line that we would lose a lot of money if, if they decided to leave. And I think that would be the responsible choice for them to make on that end. It, it, if they're not allowed to check for vaccines regarding COVID, I think, it's, I think it's the responsible choice to leave and go somewhere else where you can ensure that people who are coming aboard are gonna be safe and not infect other people. So yeah, it, it's, it's a mess. I was gonna say two things too. Um... As far as like the cruise ship thing, um, I wonder what happens if something like someone like Carnival does the same thing, if, if other big cruise lines do the same thing, because really, um, you know, we can make change at a local level and stuff like that. But what hits like big things is, is financially. We've seen that a lot of times with boycotts um, when when laws go into effect and stuff like that. When big corporations boycott and the money starts to dwindle, that's when you see things change. Um, and um, the second thing about uh, this uh, exclusivity thing with the freedom of the press and stuff, um, Fox said that they didn't know that he was going to sign that bill and they did not request exclusivity. So this, uh, and, and I believe them, uh, this, uh, this looks like it was all on DeSantis himself to, um, he, he wanted, it's like a stunt, almost like a publicity stunt, I think, and like a, uh, 
a flexing to his base almost. Um, so that's an interesting angle of this is that Fox did not request exclusivity. And then when the local reporters get there, he said it was an exclusive for Fox and friends when they didn't request that. So it's just weird. Um, it just follows like more like craziness from his office, I think. Yeah, I don't know if you saw the photos of, of some of like the people gathering outside of this event. But I mean, it was a lot of uh, Trump supporters. There were a lot of people wearing um, Trump DeSantis 2024 like campaign shirts and stuff. So it was definitely, at least even if it wasn't intentional, like it, it was definitely like a crowd. There was definitely a crowd. Yeah, I, I looked at it as like a, um, a thing, like a publicity, like I'm gonna run for president. Cause I think that's what he's thinking, uh, which is, uh, I think that's kind of laughable because he only won Florida's governorship by less than half of a percentage point. And now he's talking about taking, you know, the whole country, I guess. Uh, but I, I think that it's him cozying up to Trump, cozying up to certain allies and putting that on TV. That's what I took the most from the um, the exclusivity part of it and the bill signing. And, and, and we didn't even really talk about how the bill signing is 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 voter suppression. I mean, Florida got high marks for how uh, secure its election was this past year. And um, why would you need to amend it then? Same thing, like where's the evidence of this voter fraud that you need to fix? I, there hasn't been any that has been uncovered, you know what I mean? So um, it's been, I, I think that's pretty terrible. They're just following the lead of other states. And if you look at some of the specificities of this, like with um, you know, uh, ballot harvesting and things like that, they're restricting when you can go drop your ballot and stuff like that. So you can only do it when there's someone there. I think previously there used to be on like closed circuit television. So it just makes it harder for people to vote. Like it's going to make it harder for certain people to vote. That's there's no other way to look at it. Oh yeah. When I voted in this past presidential election, I did the mail-in ballot, but it was and like incredibly easy and it was easy for me and my ballot still got checked and um, my identity was checked when I did it. I, I brought my ballot to the mailbox. I had to sign it. I had to do everything in a very particular way because I think people are forgetting how many ballots, uh, mail-in ballots or, um, and stuff like that are tossed aside because people don't fill them out correctly. It's caught and they, they, they toss them. Um, so people, people check these ballots and that was my experience. You know, I got there there was, you know, uh, there were poll workers at the, the ballot box and they checked my ID, they checked my signature, they checked that I filled it out right. And that's when I get to do it or put my uh, ballot in. And like you said, all these claims about voter fraud, they were never substantiated. And a number of judges uh, have told, you know, the Trump administration that the claims that he's making are just not substantiated. There's no evidence. There's no evidence of this massive voter fraud claim. <laughs> and the only one that I um, remember seeing recently was one about a Republican who used his um, dead mom's information <laughs> to fill out an extra ballot uh, for Trump. So in, in terms of like this massive voter fraud against him, you know, there's just no evidence for that. Yeah, well, well said, I think, too. And uh, I, I also, I requested a mail-in ballot, and I changed my mind because I didn't want to fill it out wrong. 
because uh, I always vote in person. So I actually went and voted in person. And the lady, when I went and voted in person, she knew I had received an absentee ballot, a mail ballot. And she was like, did you, you didn't fill that out, did you? And I said, no, no, it's at home. And she said, good, go rip it up, throw it away. So they knew immediately. They knew where I lived. They knew I hadn't voted yet. Um, they knew I'd received an absentee ballot and requested it. So you're really looking for fraud that didn't exist to explain, you know, a loss, you know, it's just weird to me. Um, I think they're just trying to make it harder for people to vote. Go ahead, Natalia. Yeah, so I don't know where I heard this. I think it was Twitter or something. I heard it um, where they basically said, like, the GOP are trying to create voter fraud that doesn't exist. So basically, they're trying to create this fraud that, number one, didn't happen in the first place. And they're using this excuse of, oh, we're adding these amendments in to like prevent voter fraud. But all they're doing is creating, is like increasing the amount of fraud, like the increasing the amount of increasing the chances there, increasing the chances of fraud because of all these stuff that to me, I look at it, it doesn't make sense. Like you're not allowed to hand out water to people waiting in line. Like what type of law is that? Like they're trying to create it even harder for people to vote when voting is something that should be the easiest thing ever in the world. Yeah, I mean, people are already hesitant to, to vote because lines can get, you know, hours, hours long. And by saying now we're gonna take away, um, you know, your ability to have food and water brought to you during that entire process, how is that gonna help anyone? How is that gonna help anyone? How is that gonna uphold our constitutional values? How is that gonna make voting accessible to people? by practice, like making it possible to starve them out when they're trying to wait in line so that they can practice their right to vote. Yeah, it, it's wild. And, and I don't understand why you're not just automatically registered to vote here in, in, in our country. Uh, you are in many countries, uh, tons of them, I think. Um, and I just think that it's, I don't know, man, it's weird. It's, it's like I said, they're, they're, they're mad that they lost the election. So they're going to try and attack and make it harder to vote next time. Because I think in a way they feel like they can't win fair and square. You know what I'm saying? When you, when you lose traditional red states like Georgia and when Texas begins to get more democratic and stuff like that, how do you win? Well, you change the rules. That's essentially what, that's what I see them as doing is, is basically changing the rules as they go. So speaking of voting and voting rights, this week, New York's governor, Andrew Cuomo, signed a bill expanding felon voting rights. The bill reinstates parolees' right to vote once they are out of prison. This bill largely goes into effect immediately, though there are some aspects of it that won't come into effect until about 120 days after the bill's signing. In a statement, Cuomo said, I strongly believe that restoring the right to vote to people who have paid their debt to society strengthens our democracy, promotes successful reentry into the community, it makes New York a safer and fairer place to live. In 2018, Cuomo passed an executive order that allowed parolees to be pardoned and have their voting rights restored by him personally. And this new bill really just kind of solidifies that practice and makes it so that his predecessors can, cannot deny parolee their voting rights. So I think this is really great. I'm a big believer in restoring um, the rights to those who have been imprisoned and released. I think that putting in restrictions and making their lives harder really just perpetuates this cycle um, of prison time. And so seeing stuff like this, I think is really great. If you've paid your debt, um, then I think you should have your rights restored in every way that you can. So I, I personally think this is great. Yeah, Michael. 
Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. Um, we, we, we're, we're obsessed with punishment in America with our prison uh, instead of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, justice, I guess you could say, for lack of a better term. Uh, we make it so hard with our the way we police and the way when people go to prison that it increases their chance of being reincarcerated when they get out because there's not the support they don't they don't get um rehabilitated in prison really they they just come out having lost years of their life or however long but um i think that if you've paid your debt to society you're a citizen again you're a private citizen again you can you should be able to vote just like anyone else you're not in prison i don't understand i've never understood the whole like if you were a felon, you can't vote thing because there's felonies are a big list of things. It doesn't mean you killed someone. It doesn't mean you did anything necessarily even that was hor horrific, I guess you could say. But um, and what if you were wrongly convicted, you know what I mean? Or, or something like that. Um, so, you know, we know our justice system isn't perfect, but I, I think that this is, is good. Um, I, I would like to see it's a whole other topic for, for prison to actually do things to help you while you're in there so you don't re-enter but we know that prisons make a lot of money for communities in the united states so i don't know but this is a good first step so yeah and the way that i look at it people who have been incarcerated have direct experience with the system of the government and have direct experience with the institution how it runs and how it can either help or harm and I think that's a really important population to have in our voting system to help make decisions. I've, I haven't you know, been in an institution like that. So someone who has is gonna understand uh, the faults of that system a lot better than I am. And if they have the ability to speak up and cast their vote in terms of what they think needs to be fixed, I think, I think that's great. And you know, keeping that voice and keeping that opinion down, I, it, it's just gonna again help perpetuate these broken systems. Um, and there's a club on campus and they're called Ban the Box and they're doing, um, they're discussing about like how it, it's important to remove questions regarding criminal history from college and university applications. And I think that's another really interesting topic. There were a lot of, um, I went to like one of their town halls and I covered it and there were a lot of speakers who had been incarcerated in the past. And there were a lot of conversations about how, again, like making things accessible and things that people have, you know, they should have the right to at least apply to, uh, you know, inaccessible for those who have been incarcerated, it, it's still, it's just perpetuating the cycle. You know, how do you get out of the cycle when people are constantly closing the door on you and taking away your rights and your privileges that you should have as, as like you said, a private citizen? Yeah, you see this with jobs too. A lot of jobs ask about criminal history mm -hmm. and it's like, well, if I've served my time and I haven't uh, went back, you know, say I did prison 15 years ago and now I want this job and, and I was a felon when I was a completely different person. And I, I've, uh, I'm a different, you know, I've recovered, I'm a completely different person. You, you close off those avenues to people. Um, and that's your best way to probably stay out of prison is to, to reintegrate into society to get a well-paying job and things like that. And we see a lot of avenues get closed to people from that. Uh, I, I've always kind of thought that that question was weird on the college applications as well about criminal history. I, I don't have one, but I remember when I, when I filled out my thing, I was like, it's kind of weird that they even ask that, you know, in a way. Um, I mean, in some ways I can understand, but 
you know, in other ways, I feel like it's just like, if this person had a felony, we're going to deny him or whatever. And, uh, and all felonies aren't created equal. That's like a catch all term. You know what I mean? I mean, no one wants a murderer on their campus, but, uh, the murderer is probably not the one applying, you know what I'm saying? I, I don't know. Uh, it's weird. It, it makes it harder for every, everything like that makes it harder for people that go to prison to, to actually like be functioning members of society when they get out. So anything that puts a stop to that, I'm cool with. Earlier today, China's long March 5B rocket debris landed in the Indian Ocean. The section is part of a module that was launched by China as the country's first permanent space station into orbit according to Yahoo. The tracking on the robot was being tracked for the past several days before landing, but they never could make a 100% estimate as to where the rocket rocket would land. The US Space Force had projected that out of four different scenarios, only one scenario would consist of landing over land, but we know that didn't happen because they landed over the Indian Ocean. And as of today, I know NASA is criticizing China for not knowing where this rocket will land. And yeah, so I want to know what you guys think about this in this whole entire situation. I, I have no idea how this even happened. Sorry, I'm, I'm laughing a little bit because it's it's still so ridiculously absurd to me. Um, I don't know how you wouldn't know where this would land. And and this could have like crushed a, a city, a, a house, somebody. I, I, I don't like... I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm relieved that it landed in the ocean, but I saw that it was it was close to um, the closest place it was to hitting that was on land was the Maldives, and uh, people were pretty mad about that, rightfully so. I, I just don't get how you don't know where the debris is going to land, and it calls into question, uh, you know, China's space security. Um, so, I mean, most of the world's covered in water. So if this happens again, it's probably going to land in water again. But is that a chance we're really willing to take? I, I don't think so. You know what I mean? I think um, got to look into it for sure, see what happens. Um, but I think that they probably don't use stringent safety standards or anything like this. Or something like this can even happen. You know what I mean? Like when, when we launch a rocket from Cape Canaveral or something, they always know where the debris is going to fall. It's over the ocean. It's not overpopulated area unless something catastrophic happens or something like that. So uh, we'll see what, what the Space Force says and, and all that other stuff. I mean, yeah. Yeah, like you mentioned, I'm pretty sure like, you know, where this debris falls is supposed to be calculated before the rocket ever even takes off. So it is concerning that this wasn't taken into account during their process at all. And yeah, hopefully we, we aren't put in another situation like this. So lately, people in the country of Colombia have been protesting against the government's tax reform of President Ivan Duque. On April 15th, Duque sent to the Congress of Colombia a tax reform to generate taxes. According to Entrepreneur, the tax reform would raise taxes to raise revenue by $6.3 billion. This unleashed the massive protest as the minimum wage right now is equivalent to $248 per month. According to NBC News, although Duque canceled the tax reform, protests have still carried on with 24 confirmed deaths from the protests from, you know, police um, rioting and stuff like that. The protests have now been morphed into calls on the government to address the country's poverty, inequality, and police violence problems. So this turned into a protest that was 
about the tax reform and now it's a protest about basically poverty, the inequality and the violence with police. So if I'm if I'm hearing this right, they raise taxes on the poorest people pretty much to generate seven billion dollars of revenue and expected that to go over well. Yeah, that's not going to happen. Uh, not in Colombia, especially that's not going to happen. Um, uh, this is crazy. Um, $248 a month that, that I'm trying to think how much that would be hourly you would make. That's like nothing, man. That's like starvation wages. Um, so, but I think what's interesting about this is that this is now, this really blew up in Duque's face because now the protests have a different, um, focused as well. Like first it was about taxes and he canceled that from what I'm reading here, I'm scrolling through. And now they are mad about everything else. They're coming at the government for inequality, for poverty, for all kinds of other stuff. So it's like, yeah, that blew up in your face big time. You know what I mean? Um, that is crazy. Just the thought of something like this, of a government trying to like, okay, let's raise taxes. Like if you're raising taxes, you need to make sure number one, that the people in your country are earning a decent amount to live because $248 per month, that is nothing. That's nothing here in the United States. Like you can't do anything with $248. If you're gonna raise the taxes, you need to make sure that the people in your country can actually afford to pay those taxes because otherwise, what are you accomplishing? Yeah, that's true too. And I can add something real quick because I, I was reading this for a couple seconds, but uh, I guess 42 and a half percent of Colombia's population is below the poverty line or living in poverty as the article says on NBC. So, um, and I guess that this is, this is boiled over. Um, it says that groups in Colombia say that Duque failed to deliver on promises to, uh, for people to meet with his government representatives in 2019. So that's, probably been boiling over for a little bit. But what's interesting is about this is that uh, his government is painting a lot of the protesters as criminals, uh, sort of like how our politicians painted anyone protesting as a criminal this year. So they're going through the same uh, political strategy book I see, which is interesting. And uh, Marco Rubio, who is a senator here in Florida, actually got involved with this as well. Um, and And he echoed that party line from Colombia's government that it was that there were criminals and other people hiding within the protest trying to undermine Colombia's rule of law, I guess. So that'll be interesting to follow. We'll have to see what comes of this eventually. We have come to the end of another episode of You Press Play News. Tune in next week for more news and more information.